0: Surf's Up, the Beach Boys podcast safari. My name is Mark Dillon, author of 50 Sides of the Beach Boys, and I'm here today with my partner Phil Migliorati. Hello, Phil.
1: Mark, hello, and uh, once again looking forward to a conversation with you about the Beach Boys.
0: Yeah, so I mean it hasn't been so long since our last episode, but uh, we felt we had to do one about Billy Hinchy We got the very bad news a couple of weeks ago that uh, Billy had succumbed to lung cancer at the the young age of 70 years old, very sad, very shocking. And, uh, you know, I I consider Billy to be the nearest you can get to being a beach boy without being an official beach boy. So uh, it's definitely worth uh, remembering Billy and and paying tribute to him today.
1: Uh, Yes, uh, tribute. I really think I hope this appears or comes out to be a, a tribute to him. And as I've been, as you have been doing some remembering and some researching He's just grown in stature, in my mind, as uh, a significant person in the the story, the history of the Beach Boys. Um, so I'm glad we're going to take some time to pay tribute to him.
0: The guy, the guy was a trooper. He was, uh, you know, in recent times, he was doing a lot online. He had his own show online called Live from Billy's Place, where he would have, you know, his remembrances of, of, of his career and of other people and you know, as as early as September the 9th, he posted something saying that, well, I, I won't be able to, you know, post any of my live shows for a bit. I've got other things going on. He didn't really let on what, what was actually happening, but, uh, you know, he was he was working hard doing his thing till <laughs> till the end, you know, and I, I guess a sad footnote of all this is I know he loved his mother very much, his mother Celia, and uh, she happened to die. Uh, on the same day that he did, I believe she was 95 years old at the time, and uh, it was lung cancer that, uh, that Billy had. And, uh, you know, I, I guess that brings to mind the fact that his brother-in-law, Carl Wilson, died of the same thing uh, many years earlier.
1: Yeah, that simple storyline you've given us, Mark, says so many things about him already. Uh, interesting in a way. The first thing that seems to come to us is the storyteller, uh, Billy Hinchy. Um, and then that's something that seems to have, I'm sure that the beach boys, the beach boys family, uh, knew this about him from the beginning, but, uh, for those of us who simply saw him on stage or heard him, uh, sing in a record or whatever it might be, uh, at least I was not aware of what a, uh, good storyteller he was. And these podcasts that he's been doing and DVDs, et cetera, uh, show that skill and I think he's done us, uh, those of us who are true, deep, crazy fans of the Beach Boys, a good service in getting some stories out there maybe that uh, we might not have heard otherwise. Or it's a resource to go back to. to appre- Part of appreciating the Beach Boys is appreciating the Beach Boys, not just their music. For some reason... Uh, a lot of us just feel connected to them. Like we think we're part of their family. And I think Billy Hinshey is a, a link for us or a bridge to us into some of that.
0: Well, and he was quite literally part of their family. I mean, his, uh, his sister, Annie, of course was uh, married to Carl Wilson. So him and Carl were brothers-in-law and uh, you alluded, uh, you know, to his, his DVDs. So Billy was a film grad from UCLA and had the good sense to bring a porta pack video recorder with him you know when he toured with the beach boys in the 1970s so as a result he was able many years later to uh to edit together and and produce these dvds like dennis wilson forever carl wilson here and now 1974 on tour with the beach boys so i mean you know some of this footage is a bit old and grainy but i mean still it's it's a it's a rare behind the scenes look, you know, at the band at that time and some of the stuff going on. And, and he was also able to get, you know, some key interviews with people that he knew. Like, I think you'll find Jim Garcia there. You'll find Jack Riley there. Uh, and these two had a connection. And that's pretty amazing because Jack Riley, you know, in his later years, didn't give a lot of interviews. So, uh, yeah, Billy has
1: uh, brought to light a, a lot of things in the Beach Boys story. Well, and interesting, as I'm listening to you kind of go through that, it's like his choice to pursue that career, that skill, that degree, uh, cost him, at least the, the rumor story or legend story is, cost. it was a choice to do that or become a member of the Beach Boys. And his loss, if you will, was our gain because uh, he toted that uh, state of the art at the time, um, Recorder along, and because of that, we have some footage we would not have had otherwise. So, uh, he's done us a service in that way,
0: yeah. So, what, what you're talking about there is uh, in 1969. Now, I, I should say that I had great conversations with Billy for my book. You know, some people give you an interview and then you know it's goodbye and they, they leave you to it, but with Billy, you know, we did a, an interview but we worked together really on, on, on crafting the, uh, the chapter, his chapter in my book, cause he, he, you know, being a documentarian, he, he really cared about a good story and about getting it right, you know? So, and, and, hmm. and he told me a lot of stories that, that didn't make it into the book. So, you know, I was going through my, uh, my notes, uh, yesterday about that, but in, in 1969, um, and we'll, we'll get more into the backstory, but the beach boys. So, the Wilsons, Mike Love, and uh, manager Nick Grillo came to his house. Uh, You know, they were already quite acquainted with Billy and basically offered him full-time membership in the Beach Boys because, according to Billy, there was talk of Bruce leaving the band at that time, that didn't happen for a couple more years. Uh, so anyway, they they were looking to fill that potential gap, and so they offered uh, they offered Billy uh, a chance to be a Beach Boy, and he was all for it. But I guess sadly, or or perhaps not, you know his his parents, uh, Otto Pop Hinchy and, and Celia, did not want him to uh, drop out of school. They wanted him to pursue a uh, higher education. So Billy said he cried. he cried himself to sleep that night. He th- I think he was 19 years old at the time, and uh, didn't get his chance at that time to be an official beach boy. but you know, he was involved, you, know, when he could be, after that point. And then you know after, um, I think after his studies were done, that's when he was able to become uh, a full-time touring member of, of the Beach Boys in the 1970s.
1: Yeah, uh, who, you know, who's to say um, how it would have been different had he said yes to that? Uh, we certainly would be having this conversation, paying tribute to him, having been a long-standing member of the Beach Boys. But are there some stories we would not have found out about? Are there uh, for his life? I mean, all of the different. I mean, he's kind of like a rock and roll all-star when you just go through the different people that he's, he's recorded with or re- did some songwriting or singing with, uh, concert touring with. Um, in some ways, he may have had the best of both worlds with that decision. And uh, we'll just trust that that was uh, the best path for him. But we're, we're blessed. Uh, we would have been blessed either way, I think. Well, I mean, he certainly supported a lot
0: of artists, in- including the Beach Boys. But I mean, he had a career of his own. You know, he he was in the the limelight uh, for a while himself. So, I mean, why why don't we sort of back it up? I mean, um, so Otto Pop Hinchy, we'll call him Pop, uh, you know, is is, is kind of a big character in all this. But, you know, he was uh, an American. He was born in Hoboken, New Jersey and moved to the Philippines. Unfortunately, with with the Japanese uh, occupation, he was in a prisoner of war camp uh, during World War II, But afterwards, he uh, he ran a popular supper club in Manila. Uh, But then during the Korean War, he didn't want to to face the risk of being incarcerated again. So uh, he moved to the U.S. And and where did he choose to move to? But Beverly Hills, California, if you're going to if you're going to come to America, just go go (laughs) where all the stars are. Right.
1: Let's go live near Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I'm sure they go out to supper clubs and are probably very good tippers. (laughs) <laughs> um, so so billy went to the good shepherd uh, catholic school so this was a school where a lot of celebrity kids went and so this is where um he met uh, dean martin jr otherwise known as dino and desi arnaz jr who of course is uh, the child of um, lucille ball and desi arnaz and so uh they had this mutual love of music i mean especially uh, Dean and Billy Desi was was younger. He was only like 11 years old, but they, they formed Dino Desi and Billy, who were, you know, kind of the the first boy band. Uh, and, you know, they were they were just kids and, and, and they had, uh, you know, real pro songwriters and producers like Lee Hazelwood behind them, session musicians, you know, who are actually doing the music in the studio, but they, they had a couple of hits in the top 30. I'm a fool and uh, not the love and kind. And, you know, with their connections, it's not surprising that they got uh, to play on the Ed Sullivan show. Lucille Ball was in the audience uh, for that performance in, in 1965 as they lip synced and lip, lip or, or <laughs> play synced their way through uh, through their <laughs> couple of hit songs, um, but yeah, so they 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 had some success, and and that's what uh, brought them to the attention of the Beach Boys in
1: 1965. I saw that uh, video recently of uh, Ed Sullivan introducing the uh, Dino, Desi, and Billy before they sang, and of course you. Could, I forget what he said exactly, but it was kind of like uh, doing this as a favor to a you know a big star that he wanted to of course curry favor with, but he made the comment. Uh, he said, "Well, my old again, I'm not quoting, but my old friend uh, Jack Benny, who's you know always 39, <laughs> should know that the uh, this group is 38 years old combined. They were <laughs> less than you know Jack Benny's uh, pretend age, right. but that is kind of amazing. I mean, 11, 13, and 14." Um, someone called them a combination of the the monkeys and uh, Gary Lewis and the Playboys uh, in terms of, you know, those f- factors or vibes. I had thought of the Gary Lewis, the Playboys thing, but a little bit more, maybe the sun rays or something, but uh, they, you know, they, they produce some good stuff. So, you know, uh, maybe someone is doing a little bit of a favor, but uh, I think they could have developed into something much more of a, a you know, stronger group with stronger songs.
0: Well, one of the people that did them a favor was Frank Sinatra because Frank Sinatra owned uh, Reprise Records uh, over at Warner Brothers. He had, he had founded that label. Uh, so their audition was for him. Can you imagine being uh, <laughs> an 11-year-old kid and like auditioning? Uh... But I mean, Desi Arnaz Jr. could play the drums. Obviously his father could and uh, he got all the best uh, teachers. So, I mean, he he had some uh, some instrumental skill as well. So, you know, I I think Sinatra... You know, as you say, probably trying to do, do a favor for for his showbiz friends. But I mean, these these kids, uh, you know, they had something, and uh, I think "I'm a Fool" is a pretty uh, pretty catchy song, actually.
1: Well, I remember when it came out on the radio, and it was like, you know, not at that point that you know, even if they, well, they're called Dino Desi and Billy, but you don't know who they are. You really have to do some hunting around in those days to find anything out about uh, just about most of the the hit records, but. It was like, yeah, this is a good song. And um, when it came on, it was, uh, you know, good to dance to, as Dick Clark might say.
0: So they um, they were on the bill for the Beach Boys Summer Spectacular at the Hollywood Bowl. Boy, I T- Phil, did you go to that show? Did you go to any of those shows? Because, boy, would I have loved to have seen that. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, not only the Beach no. Boys and Dino Desmond, but you've got the Birds and the Kinks, like, unbelievable.
1: Yeah, uh, back then it was just like, oh, yeah, you know, this is a good group. I mean, nobody, of course, had the, the, the context of future history to know that history was being made uh, at these, these shows. And these were history makers up on stage. Uh, it just reminded me of the Laurel Canyon movie that's come out the last couple of years. And uh, just people simply living their lives, doing what they enjoy doing, and yet uh, carving a little niche into, into history.
0: So as uh, Billy told me, um, he met Carl at Soundcheck and they bonded uh, pretty quickly over their uh, mutual love of uh, Fireglow Glow, Rickenbacker guitars. Um, so that, that relationship was, uh, was formed and uh, it, it grew closer because, I mean, as it turned out, um, Bruce Johnston was uh, dating a friend of Billy's sister, annie Hinchy, and so that friend and annie went to the airport uh to greet the beach boys as they returned from a tour and this is where carl met annie instant attraction asked for her (laughs) phone number and uh you know this is 1965 uh before long they were dating and before long carl had proposed to her which you know Reminds me so much of Brian. I mean, Annie was like 16 and, and Carl was um, 19, I believe. Very, very young. But, uh, you know, as Billy said to me, he said, I mean, Carl had a great sense of humor, but he was a serious person. He was very serious uh, about a lot of things. So, so not surprising that he would uh, take such a serious step at, uh, at such a young age.
1: Yeah, my one uh, brief encounter with Carl uh, I would affirm that even though it was just a very brief moment in the underground garage of the auditorium theater at uh, Chicago after their concert ran into him and, and, you know, being a star star kid, I, you know, all I could say was I really like, I can hear music. You know, he had just put that out or, and I had known that, you know, he did the production on it. And, and it was like, in that moment, he actually made it feel like uh, he, he appreciated that comment rather than thanks, kid, and just keep moving on. Uh, very serious and very caring person. Yes, but one of the things, as you've re- recounted some of that stuff, is uh, not that patronage. Well, coming from Chicago, patronage is a big deal, you know, but uh, in the negative sense. But there's <laughs> none of that here. I mean, they met uh, musically. Carl, I'm talking about Carl and, and Billy, and that their initial connection, as you said, was love of the, the guitar. Yeah. Uh, And family developed out of that. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, Billy was trying to muscle his way into something bigger. It was uh, organic, relational, and uh, proved itself out through decades upon decades of, uh, you know, continued relationship family-wise and career or uh, music-wise. So, according to uh,
0: to Billy, both he and Annie were present for the recording of the uh, Beach Boys' Party album in 1965. Although I've looked at the pictures and I don't see I don't see Annie in the photos. It seems like they they put some you know, kind of random like model or something with Carl. Like I don't recognize the woman that he's with. Like maybe this was like a plant, you know, by the studio or something. Well, I
1: think we should start the rumor. This is an early (laughs) version of uh, Photoshop or whatever they, uh, you know, call that app to uh, put someone in who wasn't there. But I think there's a, one of the cards in the Beach Boy Party album that you get. I think Billy's in at least one of those shots. Right. I should have looked it up and held it up or something right now, but uh yeah, that's that was very interesting that he uh, he was part of that. In and, and some ways, he he uh, just a little bit after Bruce. It's very interesting. And I don't know that they were considering him at that moment. You know, when he's doing tambourine or whatever in Mountain of Love, but
0: uh, harmonica actually he's playing harmonica in Mountain Thanks. of Love, and, and actually the harmonica is a pretty prominent part. Uh, of, of that uh, of that song in their version, and that that of course was a song that uh, Harold Dorman had written and uh, released in 1960, but was probably better known to the Beach Boys from uh, the Johnny Rivers version, which uh, had oh, yeah. become a hit just a year
1: earlier. Yeah, but interesting how trajectory of the path of Bruce into the group, and uh, just about the same time, Billy is becoming a you know significant other, so to speak, for them. Uh, it would have been very interesting to see how that group sound might have changed had Billy become a, a full and active member. He was still just a kid though. He was like 14 yeah. years old. Yeah. Very true.
0: But, but he did, uh, he did continue to have guest spots um, on Beach Boys records. Uh, one of the ones he likes, he liked to talk about the most was heroes and villains. Like he said, uh, presumably in the smiley smile version, the, the parts go do, doot, 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 do do do. So that uh, that was Billy, or con- Billy ah. contributing, um, and also
1: a little bit of singing on "Darlin" as well. Very cool. Yeah, I don't know if if one day uh, somehow uh, this is a heaven thing. If you know everybody could gather and we we uh, just. Uh, Relive all those recordings. I'd love to go back and and sneak into a time machine and see some of those, just sit there and watch some of those recordings being done and the different people there. And um, I know it was hard work and sometimes frustrating, but some very cool history happening there.
0: Well, what I'd really like to know more about is the song Away. Are you uh, familiar with that story? No, go ahead. So, Away is a Dennis Wilson song. that Billy collaborated on. So I'm not sure about the date in my notes. I got from somewhere that it was uh, 1967, although that seems kind of early in, in, yeah. in the trajectory of Dennis's uh, creative uh, development. But uh, nonetheless, Billy told me that, you know, he went over to Dennis's house and Dennis was working on this song called Away. And uh, Billy asked him, Oh, can I, can I work on this with you? And, and so he helped flesh it out. Uh, he added some chords. He wrote a bridge. Um, it was it was basically like one one musical passage, one musical theme. Um, but there's a shared songwriting credit between the two of them. And so, in, in modern times, he went over to Alan Boyd's house, and Alan Boyd played him this recording and asked him, "What what is this, Billy? Do you have any idea?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, that's a way. That's the song that uh, that Dennis and I worked on. And uh, you know what has become of it." I don't know. I don't know if it was intended to be part of a bigger piece, but it does exist. And uh, hopefully we will we will hear it at some point. Apparently, the lyrics for Away, according to Dennis, were uh, based on a Robert Frost poem. I, I can read this poem very quickly to you. It's not very long, but this this perhaps gives you some idea of what the song was about. Now I out walking the world desert and my shoe and my stocking do me no hurt. I leave behind good friends in town, let them get well-wined and go lie down. Don't think I leave for the outer dark like Adam and Eve put out of the park. Forget the myth there is no one I am put out with or put out by. Unless I'm wrong, I but obey the urge of a song. I'm bound away and I may return if dissatisfied with what I learn from having died. Um. That does sound like Dennis. It does. You could see Dennis gravitating towards, towards something like that. Yeah. But in reference to the song, Billy said, it's not quite smile, but it has some mystique.
1: <laughs> Good sense of humor. Oh, very cool. And that makes me think of a, t- a totally different song, but Dennis related. You know, the story of You Are So Beautiful, uh, Dennis has no writing credit on it. And yet Billy's, if I'm getting good information, uh, has indicated that he was at that party or event or gathering. Uh, Talked about how Dennis gravitated over towards uh, Billy Preston as he's uh, at the piano and others were doing other things. And In other words, just verifying that Dennis really was, in those moments, uh, contributing, collaborating, even though uh, he either chose not to get credit or didn't. Uh, didn't fight for it once it wasn't given. It's a fantastic song. I do remember the concerts back in those days when um, Dennis would come out and under the, under the spotlight, uh, sing that song. And, uh, you know, as someone who... Felt he knew a whole bunch about Beach Boy recordings. Like, where did they get this song, and why, you know, why is this song so important? It's not one of their own songs, and yet, uh, maybe that in itself was a sign that you know Dennis had uh, contributed, had ownership in this song.
0: Yes, and I suspect we would not have known about Dennis's involvement um, in this song if not for Billy, because uh, nobody knew much about it. I think the first time I ever saw any information about that was, uh, I believe it was an Al Jardine interview um, perhaps in the nineties or thereabouts. And, and, and Al, I think he might've credited Billy with telling him this or or said that somebody in my band, you know, know, Billy was the musical director in Al's band uh, around that time. And um, he said, yeah, so so you know, Billy told me that, Dennis was involved in, in writing that song. And so when I, when I interviewed Billy, yes, he told me that it was at Jerry Beckley's uh, uh, apartment in, uh, in LA. Of course, he was uh, lead singer of the group America. And um, yeah, he saw Dennis and Billy apparently collaborating on this together. And so, I mean, I don't know the circumstances of the song's creation, but you know, in just listening to it, it certainly sounds like a, a a classic Dennis Wilson ballad more so than it sounds like stuff that Billy Preston had done. I mean Billy Preston you know aside I'm sure everybody's thinking about Billy Preston these days because of his role in the uh, the Beatles Get Back a documentary that a lot of people are are, are watching but uh, his solo stuff is quite different from that whereas it does sound a lot like a, like a Dennis Wilson song
1: Yeah I, obviously Dennis didn't care. Can we say that? But uh, I think Beach Boy fans like to include that in the canon, if you will, of, of the Beach Boy catalog. Um, it's a great song. And uh, it was uh, a, a stunning is a little too strong a word, but it was just a very poignant moment when uh, Dennis would be singing that. And especially as you begin to begin to hear a little bit about some of his own issues. So, uh, you know, you, at least for me reading back into uh, him trying to communicate a beautiful thought, uh, but something that maybe he struggled with himself. I don't know, but great song. And uh, again, uh, Beach Boys maybe not credited as they should have been. And, and you hear Billy on it because he would play piano.
0: Like when they did this in concert, he was the one, he would start with an opening vamp and he would, he would play the piano and then Dennis, Dennis would yeah. sing it. So it was kind of a, uh, a performance collaboration uh, between the two of them. And, and, you know, I brought up this point with Billy and he, and, and he said, you know, I never thought of it this way. And I think you're right. And that is, it is a love song, but the way Dennis used it, it was a love song to the crowd. To, to the audience. That's you know? absolutely right. And we have heard Dennis in interviews and, you know, there aren't a ton of Dennis interviews out there. You know, I'm sure if you lived longer, there would be a lot more. But um, he he said that he loves the adulation. <laughs> he loves yes. the applause of the crowd, you know. So it's his way of saying thank you, you
1: know. And, <laughs> and Billy's like, yeah, you're right. You know, I never really thought of it that way. Well, sadly, we gave him a fix and uh, it, it was appreciated. <laughs> but uh, he was a great person.
0: Um, an interesting fact that I uh, came across is that um, getting back to 1969, the year that he was offered to be in the Beach Boys. So Mike was unavailable uh, for, I don't know how many shows it was, but because Mike, you know, where, where's the Beatles had sort of had their trip to India and then sort of turned their back on it. Of course, Mike became a lifelong practitioner of, of transcendental meditation and, and the Maharishi. And so he went uh, back to India in 1969 and uh, there were delays in him returning. So, they, they were a man short for, for at least a show. And so Billy, uh, Billy took his place. So it's very interesting uh, that as far back as 1969, he, he wow. would uh, appear on stage with the boys. And, and uh, I credit Andrew Doe's uh, great Bellagio website uh, for providing that little tidbit.
1: Well, someday it'd be fun to sit with you and talk about, uh, I'm not sure what we'd call it, the Beach Boys All-Star Band or something, persons who... Made contribution, uh, and yet never became official Beach Boys. You know, starting with Glenn Campbell, and you know on down the line. And Billy would uh, certainly be uh, first chair uh, on that uh, on that team. Yeah, I mean, he played
0: keyboards. He played guitar. He sang uh, Brian's harmony parts. Um. A uh, funny story is that, uh, you know, the, the, there was a good friendship between the Hinchy family in general and, and the Wilsons. They, they would be over there a lot. And so anytime Brian came over to the Hinchy's place, Pop would corner him and say, when are you going to write a song <laughs> for Dino, Desi and Billy? And so apparently this, this went on for like a year or something like that. And then finally, Brian called up Billy and said, I, I got something for you. C- come on over. And so he, uh, he gifted them with a song called Lady Love which ended up being uh, the final uh, release of of Dino, Desi and Billy. And uh, it it certainly sounds like a Brian song, uh, but a little bit more sort of um, middle of the road, like AM radio kind of thing. And uh, they actually performed it on the Dean Martin show. I, I wonder how they were able to land that gig, but, but, but again, it's pretty funny because, <laughs> because this is, this, they're not even trying to pretend that they're performing this. Like their, their instruments are not plugged in. There's no yeah. amps, there's no microphones, yeah. but uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, Brian uh, finally came through. And so there's a, there's a co-writing credit between Brian and Billy and Billy said, like, is very modest about, it. he's like, look, you know, I, I, offered up a few ideas. Brian was very generous in terms of giving me a songwriting credit.
1: Yeah. Well, and that that's another conversation we could have. Brian has uh, written, produced, recorded some very good songs that uh, uh, people don't even know exist. Many, and even Beach Boy fans aren't, you know, it's not in your uh, your personal jukebox kind of thing. Obviously, Billy still had these
0: ambitions, you know, toward, towards a music career, even though he was off to to film school at at UCLA, because in 1971, he released his, his supposedly only solo 45 called music is freedom. Are you familiar with that one? No. So this was co-written by none other than Jack Riley and it was produced by Billy. And it's a pretty good song. Like you could find it on YouTube and uh, it's very much of its time kind of like sort of like a cozy country rock kind of sound pop sound am radio uh it's 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 a little it's a little hidden gem out
1: there that's cool
0: and then you know he was uh he was out touring with the guys uh you could hear him on the in concert album 1973 on tracks like surfing usa and fun 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 he's taking he's taking brian's high parts some of the, the songs he would also participate on, not on that album, would be "Little Deuce Coop, Their hearts were full of spring. He he kind of felt that a lot of Beach Boys fans weren't aware that he was uh, he was fulfilling that role in those concerts at that time.
1: Yeah, there's obviously you're recounting a whole bunch of things that um, most of us either forgot or never knew, and yet the, he's kind of like Dennis in this. He did not, you know, toot his own horn. Uh, it had to come out because someone asked him a question or someone did some digging. Um, I don't know him personally, but seemed like not just a friendly guy, but very, very humble. And yet, whatever he was asked to do, he had the skills to do it. Yeah, he went. Uh, he
0: went to Holland with the band uh, to record that album, and uh, he's one of the many voices on, on "Funky Pretty." I mean, he recalls Holland being a very boring experience because you know where they were staying there was not a whole lot going on you know (laughs) there was one bar you know there were no movie theaters like there just wasn't a whole lot to do he was bored so he picked up the bass and decided he was going to teach himself how, how to play the bass and uh sure enough you know the subsequent tour he was uh Hired as their bassist, you know, and he said that was challenging. That was challenging. But uh, so, yeah, he he became a bassist for a while. He said it was especially challenging doing those pet sound songs and good vibrations because, uh, you know, the, the bass lines on those songs were pretty complicated.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of Beach Boy fans like me who just love the sound but are not musical in the sense of being able to play an instrument or, or arrange songs or score things. Have no idea how uh, intricate or difficult it is. I mean, when I uh, totally off of Billy here, but just you know, hear people talking about some of their difficult songs or the modulation or this key change or this or that. It's on songs that I'm like, really? I just thought they were singing away, just playing, you know, just a garage band playing away. Uh, a lot of depth to to what they what they produced and performed. Here's another sign that
0: uh, you know, Billy was, was getting close to uh, certain members of the band at this time. In 1973, Rolling Stone reported a rumor that Carl and Ricky Ricky Fatar, their drummer at the time, and Billy were going to form their own band, while Mike and Al were going to get into the business of opening transcendental Meditation Foundations. The Beach Boys were going to split up.
1: Now, that's a new one to me. Uh, <laughs> who knows where that came from, but it you know, the best rumors are not outlandish. Uh, you know you could you could see that maybe they had an argument one day and patched up the next.
0: Yeah, who knows, but that's uh, that's an interesting tidbit, but uh, could have been a whole different story with Carl, Ricky and Billy uh, forming their own band. Wow. Um, Billy also, uh, one of the highlights of his career, so he said, was uh, being invited by Bruce to the vocal sessions for Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, uh, the 1974 hit by Elton John. So uh, Bruce, with assistance from Captain Daryl Dragon, uh, were the vocal arrangers on that, and uh, they invited Carl and Tony Tenniel and Billy uh, to perform on that, along with Bruce. Apparently, Mike... Mike Love was not available, so uh, you know Billy once again sub for Mike Love, and uh, <laughs> he said he's eternally grateful. He was eternally grateful to Bruce for that uh, that invitation.
1: Uh, again, to have been the old proverbial fly on the wall for that, um, yeah. I've already made comments about that kind of stuff. It's uh, just just a amazing glimpse of history with uh, a room full of amazing people
0: yeah and so you know in the mid 70s like he was very proud of saying that he sang on the front line with the beach boys i mean you can see the pictures you can see dennis carl al and billy they're they're all at the front singing and uh one of the songs that that billy sang lead on was i'm waiting for the day i mean it's it's amazing in and of itself that like circa 1975 this would be on a set list and that was billy's idea billy trepidatiously approached carl and dennis and said I love pet sounds. I love the song. Can I sing it in concert? And they're like, okay. And and, I mean, he really did his homework. (laughs) Like he really, he really practiced it. He wanted to make sure that he he could pull it off. And so, you know, for a while he was doing that one. And of course, um, Blondie Chaplin had left the band late 1973, but Sail on Sailor was a song people wanted to hear in concert. So they needed a new
1: vocalist for that. So at that time, uh billy took that billy one took, as well yeah that would be what i would call his signature beach boy song at least for my going through this with them um uh, you know from afar just in uh, the audience but knowing that billy sang lead on on that that was uh that was very special
0: yeah so when did you first become aware of billy when did you first see
1: him on stage i really couldn't say specifically but certainly in that that uh early to mid seventies time when he was, uh, there. And obviously when he began to do sail on sailor, um, yeah, back then, um, uh, maybe other fans were much more astute and would spend time looking around and identifying you know, where's Ed Carter and, you know, the, the other names, that kind of thing. Um, that stuff just didn't, uh, uh, I, I just don't have memory of you know focusing on each person and wondering you know how they got there or what they were doing. But early to mid seventies, you know, be, have memories of seeing him up there.
0: Yeah, my first show was at the Montreal Forum, July nineteen seventy nine, and I believe he was not there. But uh, I remember seeing shows in the late eighties and seeing him and thinking, "Who is that? Like, I don't recognize this guy. Like, where, where did this guy come from? I didn't, uh, I didn't know." Yeah. Uh, Bobby Figueroa who we had on our show a while back drummer he also sang "Sail on Sailor and they sing it together so it was sort of both their numbers so they, they sang it together on the um, Al Jardine Live in Las Vegas Al Jardine Family and Friends Live in Las Vegas uh, CD and uh, that by the way is, is, is a really nice album um, that gives you know different people in the circle an opportunity to, to, to sing lead vocals Wendy and Carney Wilson are there and uh, Billy was the musical director uh, in Al's band. So that's another uh, big role that he played uh, later on.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, I don't know, breath of fresh air. Maybe that's not the way to say it, but like, it felt like, okay, here's a, a- another Beach Boy uh, album, if you will. And certainly uh, players were part of that, but not, not the whole band, but th- they were so fragmented at that point, And the, the, Different touring things was still uh, in embryonic form, so it it really filled a, a a hole a hole in my heart, so to speak, for uh, some fresh Beach Boy sounds. They did a good job at it.
0: It seemed, you know, at this time, like in in, in the mid seventies, that that Billy was inching closer to perhaps being an official member again, because Bruce did leave in nineteen seventy one you know, Ricky Fatar left in 74, Blondie Chaplin left in 73. So they were they were getting down a little bit in size. And so, uh, you know, there was consideration, you know, to Billy becoming an official member again. And um, 15 big ones, he's all over that album. Like if you look at those credits, uh, Ed Carter and him, Ed Carter and Billy are doing guitars on on a lot of those songs. You know, and as we know, you know, Brian was becoming quite active again and, and, and quite prolific. And um, th- he, they gave Billy lead vocal on the cover, Moni, Moni, um, the Chandel song. And, and that's a great, I love that. Like t- of all the oldies <laughs> they recorded at that time, I think that's one of the best. Because I mean, it's a very typical Brian production with like really overpowering synths. You know, but <laughs> I remember listening to it and thinking, who is singing that? Like, it, it sounds like Al, but not mm-hmm. quite. And that's, I guess, how I would describe Billy's voice on, on some of these songs. But, uh, you know, we, we had Howie Edelson on uh, a while back, and, and he was telling us that there is a wealth of material from the 76, 77 yeah. era. So when we get to that uh, anniversary, that 50th anniversary a few years from now, Perhaps we're going to uh, appreciate Billy's role more. Perhaps, you know, there's more that he was involved with that then has come out. Uh, So I'm looking forward to that.
1: When you say that, it makes me think of, uh, uh, as I was doing some research, you know, you ask Google to search for you and all these, when you do Billy's uh, recent today, uh, all all these uh, different, news uh agencies having their story of his passing and one of them said uh longtime beach boy side man passes and in you know in, in newspaper language that's not inaccurate uh it, you know they're just trying to identify as quickly as possible this isn't one of the members uh, original members but i thought in the, that uh, you know uh I think for a lot of fans, they, they may not even know who he is, or they barely know his name, but he is much more than a sideman. I mean, he, he really functioned, uh, when he was there functioned, uh, as a full-time member, uh, concerts, studio, um, uh, singing, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, we've lost my, uh, we didn't lose an original, but we lost a person who's an original and, uh, the only other person I could think of at this point that maybe came cl- who came closest to this kind of career with the Beach Boys. Uh, you may disagree or have other names, but uh, Jeffrey Foskett, uh, who came later into the 80s and stayed around for a while and still would be on stage if his health uh, would allow. Um, so, it's, you know, just nice to have all these other good people, uh, part of the Beach Boy family.
0: Um just to add to to the sort of 76, 77 era. So he did the original vocal for honking down the highway. And he told me that, and you can hear that it's, it's, it's out there. Um, He did not get along with Eugene Landy. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Who did (laughs) not many. And uh, I guess they had some kind of friction, some kind of disagreement. And, and according to Billy, Gene Landy, in order to sort of show his power, said, "Forget it, we're wiping that." And so, anyway, so Al ended up doing, of mm. course, the uh, the final
1: vocal for uh, for honking down the highway. Had not heard that interesting story. Um, not to, if had had that been the released version, that's interesting. Maybe this is another conversation. Um, Beach Boy songs. Where a non 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 member, so to speak, is singing the lead. Uh, there aren't too many of them, but there's there's probably some. Yeah, that when you think wonderful. about how
0: many lead vocalists they've had on on, if you get into obscure stuff like A Day in the Life of a Tree where the lead vocals yeah. by Jack Riley and, and the part at the end is sung by Van Dyke Parks.
1: Yes. <laughs> so yeah. there,
0: there's a couple of obscure lead vocalists, you know, but I, I do remember, I remember this from the Casey Kasem America's top 40 days that he did have, he had his little trivia question once in a while. And, and, and he said like, which, which band has the, the record for most charted songs with different lead vocalists. And it was the Beach Boys. I mean, they all sang something yes.
1: memorable, right? Well, yeah, certainly the, the five of them and then Bruce and then, you know, yeah, just, uh, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot longer uh, list than you might think initially. Good point.
0: I think an important part of the story uh, we've talked about him a little is, is pop Otto Hinchy. He had a very strong connection with Dennis, which, which sounds peculiar at first because he was like more than 50 years older than Dennis, I believe. But you know, Murray died in what, 1973, and uh, it seemed around that time that Dennis gravitated more towards towards pop, and they would they would cruise around, they would go around town together, like having fun. Like it wasn't like a typical sort of father son relationship, kind of more like a buddy thing. But 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 I think maybe Dennis did see it as a a bit of a, a father. I think he needed that. He needed like a sort of um, benevolent father figure, you know, and, and uh, in my book, Billy told an amusing story about how, you know, Dennis was like pranking around and they went into this high-end shoe store uh, in Beverly Hills and uh, Dennis approached the salesperson and said, look at this guy, look at my friend, look how old he is. He's so old. Well, why don't you just give him a pair of shoes? And so (laughs) they did. They gave him this very expensive pair of shoes for free. (laughs)
1: Uh, You haven't mentioned, I neglected to, I should know, but what song did you uh, and Billy work on for your book?
0: Well, I I was just getting to that. Um, The the song is, is Farewell, My Friend. Um, So Pop died in 1976 and Dennis was like cruising around one night and like, you know, Pop was in the hospital at this time and, and Dennis had broken a tooth and he saw this as some kind of sign that something was not right. So he went to the hospital to see Pop. And uh, Pop died in his arms that night. And Dennis was alone with him. Mm-hmm. Dennis was all alone with him. And th- this had a very profound effect on Dennis. And, you know, as we now know from the Field Flows box set, he had been working on a track called Hawaiian Dream you know, dating back to the early 70s, it was just an instrumental. And uh, a few days after pop passed, he went into the studio, like very determined, and, and, and you know, dug out the, you know, whatever uh, current instrumental version he had of Hawaiian Dream, and, and he started writing Farewell, My Friend, like very, very focused, you know, like, it, it, it was just coming out of him. And uh, yeah, it wasn't supposed to be on the album, the album was set to go, it had a different, slightly different sequencing. And then, he's like put put this on the album so i i that was meaningful and 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 i I don't know what hawaiian dream like inspired it originally in the early 70s but it was appropriate because hawaii you know is a special place for the beach boys They've, they've had a lot of shows there a lot of popularity um and it was a special place for the hinchies because Otto would take the family there on vacation and and billy you know i i said i can hear hawaii in that in that song, you know, there's these effects that sound like, like birds or something like it's got these really interesting electronic effects. And, and Billy's like, yeah, I hear the Philippines in it too. And, and the Philippines, oh, wow. you know, is where Billy was born uh, because he was born when, um, when Otto had had, had moved back to, to the Philippines. So meaningful song. And, and very soon after pop passed away, I, I think Dennis felt a bit unanchored again. And, and he very quickly after that married Karen Lamb. I think he needed some kind of stability hmm. in his life. He didn't quite get that from marrying Karen Lamb, but I mean, that, that, that I guess was the
1: hope at the time. Yeah, their songs are uh, powerful on so many levels. Just you don't need to even know who's singing it or what it is, the sound level. But then when you get to know the, or at least know about the people involved and when you care about them, uh, takes on a whole new uh, emotional expression.
0: Well just as uh, Billy was kind of warming up to, to you know becoming a bigger part of this band and, and perhaps becoming a member, that was dashed in 1977 because Mike uh, took it upon himself to fire most of the touring band, including Billy. Um, Billy explained it in terms of Mike, you know there were two factions basically you could call, call them the meditators and the non-meditators. And Mike wanted all meditators as much as possible. But I think you can read into that. He didn't want the partiers either. Like there was a faction that was partying and then there was the, you know, Mike and Al were the clean ones and they, they insisted on having Brian with them to keep Brian out of trouble. But the other half, you know, they, they, they were getting into trouble. So I think, you know mike i think had that famous quote was it in uh, the heroes and villains book said we're, we're not the rolling stones <laughs> you know he didn't want that image uh, around the beach boys so and you know billy was was pretty upfront about this with me because you know i i brought up the fact that you know carl had problems with um with drugs and alcohol you know at yeah. that time and and billy's like yeah but you know a lot of us did. He said, I, I would not be the right one to judge because I was going through my own stuff. So I think that gives you a, a kind of reading of, of what was going on circa 1977.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that, and listening to you, the thought jumps in my mind. It's amazing this group has sur- not just survived, but didn't implode, uh, well, even at, back then, and then several times since, uh, I don't know. Is it the family ultimate family blood kind of thing? that does keep them together. The sound, I don't know what, but this, uh, this band could have been done a long time ago.
0: Yeah. Something, something kept them together. Even, you know, there were a lot of problems and uh, I mean, Carl and Annie got divorced, but him and he and Billy remained friends, which I think is great. And uh, Carl, reached out to Billy when, when he put out his first solo album and said, Hey, do you want to join me on my tour? Billy said, sure. I'd love to. So, you know, even though, even though there was this fracture in, in the family, like they were, they were still close and they, they made it, they made it all right between the two of them, you know? And, um, Carl went on to do a second solo album called young blood. And, uh, you know, he asked Billy for some songs and, uh, Billy ended up contributing a song called one more night alone. Carl, uh, you know, so he was out of the beach boys for a while doing his solo thing. Wasn't happy. He wasn't happy with what was going on with the beach boys and he was off doing his solo stuff, but he came back uh, around 82, I believe. And, and I I guess he brought Billy back with him because Billy was, was, was back on the scene and uh, he performed live with them until uh, 1995. I, I, I guess one thing we should we should bring up is beachago because yeah billy also he cites that as kind of the highlight of the whole thing because man the beach boys were a hot commodity that tour was that and the rolling stones tour of that year were like the big deals going on in the music business i, I think they had three nights in madison square garden sold out they were doing multiple shows like in, in one night um he has very fond memory of that. And, and, and he says he was the one that came up with the, with the term beachago, which I guess is, is being resurrected almost because now Brian is doing a tour yes. with, uh, with Chicago. So uh, tr-
1: trying to revive some of that magic. Yeah. Yeah. I missed, I never uh, caught any of those beachago shows. Um, I was, you know, I grew up in Chicago at that point. I had, uh, become a pastor to young people in Rockford Illinois and we just happened to have a youth event that that uh, weekend that they were playing in Chicago so I couldn't skip out but it was an existential moment for me what am I going to pick here my commitment to these uh, you know this ministry and these people or am I going to go have fun (laughs) at a Beach Boys Chicago concert
0: Well, you have your chance this, this coming year, (laughs) Phil, you can, you can make up for it. There you go. God is good. My second (laughs) chance. (laughs) And and anyway, Billy had in, in recent years become part of Brian's band. So it was nice to go see a show and and, and to see
1: him uh, playing keyboards uh, for Brian after all these years. That brought to mind uh, when you said he's part of Brian, even part of Brian's band, uh, when Brian was first starting out, his first little initial, almost a pre-phase doing some stuff in St. Charles, Illinois, not far from Chicago, uh, there's, there's some, Bruce was with him for a while. And I would love to ask Bruce, maybe you have some information on this, but I'd love to ask Bruce was, did he see that as just, I'm a beach boy and I'm hanging out with another beach boy and recording or practicing or on stage? Or was he, you know, leaving one and going to the other? Uh, or I, I don't know if you have any background information on that from your research, but that was an in- interesting time. And the thought is, what if Bruce had stayed with, with that uh, now called the Brian Wilson band? That would be very interesting. I, I don't
0: have specific information on that, but I will tell you a point that Billy made to me. And that was Cause yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole history of shifting allegiances yeah. within this band, yeah. right? And and Billy said it's like Survivor. He said, really, it's like the show Survivor. Like you, you gotta maneuver your way to this person or that person and do whatever it takes to keep going. <laughs> and boy, do the Beach Boys ever really really illustrate that they are
1: they are the musical survivors, right? Yeah, yeah you're not kidding. That reminded me of uh, uh, listening to well, watching uh, on on YouTube one of his uh, podcasts or shows, the Billy Live with, whatever it's called. Just watching him. uh, It was interesting. Here's a guy who, now I'm using my phrase of looking back in history, but here's a guy who's been on stage in front of tens of thousands of people. He's sung now world-famous songs. I mean, you know, a, a true all-star, maybe not known well, but I mean, he's just been everywhere. Um, and it's almost like he's trepid, uh, trepidatious about, uh, gee, uh, thanks for, it, it, this isn't a quote, but it's almost like, gee, thanks. Why would you be listening to me? Thanks for tuning in. Um, it just, uh, it would, but it was sincere. I think that, so what I'm getting is I think he's a really a humble guy and uh, perform because the love of the music, not because he's trying to impress you about who he is. He, he was happy
0: to, to help the beach boys, you know, um, a quote from my book, he was saying that, you know, part of my destiny, because like he feels like he forgot about all this footage. It wasn't top of mind that he recorded all this video footage and and he like stumbled upon it in his basement like decades later. And, and, and both Carl and Dennis are now gone. So he's like, part of my destiny is to keep their memory alive by, you know, yeah. making these, uh, these DVDs. He's one of those people that, that were happy to contribute to, to, to the beach boys, even if he was not an official beach boy.
1: Yeah. And I wonder if it, when, how would, would he even know, but I wonder if there was some point when he recognized that, you know, i'm not going to have my own band i'm not going to sell a million records by myself but not just that i can be part of this but but i can serve this movement that's not the right word but i can serve this uh this group Uh, and maybe i'm thinking now maybe he's thinking i can serve the other people who love them the fans the audience by providing them a glimpse into some things that only a few of us have seen and heard So for that, it's another reason to be grateful for Billy Henschey.
0: Yeah. And he, uh, he kept on doing his thing. He put out a few solo albums, you know, in 2003, he put out one called mixed messages and there's a song on there called one in a million. It's a tribute to Dennis. Um, It was a song he released to mark the 20th anniversary of, uh, of Dennis's death. And you can go listen to that on YouTube. And, you know, there's lyrics like I want to be with you again, you know, and, yeah. Sad wow. to say for us
1: that, 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 that they they would be reunited now. That um, sounds like it might be one of the songs that David Beard put on one of the CDs that he produced. I don't know if you're familiar with those CDs, but that that's what I should have researched it. I don't know, but because um, I've, I've heard that title before, but not because I heard that album. So maybe it was an Endless Summer Quarterly uh, CD. Well, I,
0: uh, I've had fun talking uh, to you about Billy. I, I, you know, my personal dealings with him, he was, uh, he was a very kind person. I know he, uh, he liked to make people laugh. He, he was a very dapper dresser and, uh,
1: yes, yes.
0: A big part of, of the beach boy story. And, uh, hopefully we've, uh, we brought a little attention, uh, to him today through our discussion.
1: Yeah. Thanks, uh, Mark. You've uh, added so much to it. Uh, and for me, this uh, little retrospective has just uh, increased my appreciation for him, not just uh, as a beach boy, but just as a human being. Well, we've come to the end of the year,
0: Phil. We've had another uh, great year of uh, talking to, to people and talking all things beach boy. So uh, I wish you uh, all the best for the holidays, and I look forward
1: to uh, doing it again next year. Well, Thank you, Mark. Same to you and your family. Have a blessed Christmas, a great new year, and looking forward to another conversation.
0: Yes. Merry Christmas to those uh, celebrating. I hope you get a visit from little St. Nick. (laughs) Happy new year and uh, come back in 2022 and we'll do it again.